Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This will be the last time that we look at this opening creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and the, the beginning of chapter 2. This morning we'll be reading beginning at verse 14. Give your attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Then God said, Let there be light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. (laughs) 
Let's go before our Lord once again in a time of prayer. Oh, Father, how we do ask and pray that you would help us to see the purpose for which we have been made and to strive by your Spirit to fulfill that purpose. Lord, open up our eyes to the to the realities of your creation. Lord, for we know that the way you have made all things is foundational for our understanding of the rest of your word. So, Lord, help us not to be ignorant of it, but to take it into account, to submit to what you have taught us about why you have made us and how you have made us, and that in so doing, we would glorify and honor your name. For we ask all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We've spent some time going through the creation account on Genesis 1, and one of the things that we have seen is that there has been a continual narrowing of focus. So if we were to ask, what is the purpose of God creating all things? Well, we saw that narrowing the first time, the the ultimate purpose of the creation of the different bodies which he has created in, in the universe, was to create the earth. If we were then to narrow it even further, why is it that God created the earth? Well, we'd have to say that God created the earth for the sake of it being filled, being filled with various living creatures. If we were to ask what creature in particular was the most important of those which God had made, we'd have to say man. So we have God created all things for the earth, and then even more narrowly for man. And if we were to ask the next question, why is it that God created man to dwell upon the earth? This is where we get to the the main purpose of all of creation. Why is it that God created all things? First narrowing to the earth, then narrowing to man, and then this last question is answered here, particularly in day seven, but also we'll see in day four as well, that God created man for the sake of having fellowship with him in worship. That's really the entire point of the account in Genesis. There is an earth focus, there is a man focus beyond that, and the reason for that is because man was created in God's image so that he could have fellowship with God in worship. This is the the primary reason for creation. Now, we've looked at a number of things in this creation account. We've looked at how the account speaks of God's creating all things of nothing, We've looked at the question about the length of days, God's special care for the earth, his greatest creation, man. And now here we come to the purpose of it all. Why did God do it? And when we can answer this question correctly, it's very informative for you, because this is also why you are here on the earth. The reason why God created all things and the reason why God has created you is so that you can have fellowship with God in worship. Now, we'll just look at uh, just... This, this sermon will consist of just two parts here this morning. We'll look at day four and day seven, and we'll look at how both of these days really point to man's, uh, man's purpose in worshiping God. Now, I had mentioned last week that we were going to be doing this looking at day four and seven together. And you might be wondering, why is it that I chose to do uh, four and seven together? Well, there's a, a couple of reasons for that. Um, I've mentioned that each of the days of creation have a parallel day. And it is true that day one is also parallel to day four. But there's actually also a number of ways in which there are correspondences between days four uh, and day seven. First, both deal with time. And we have the same kind of thing with day one as well. 
the 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 lights, the luminaries which God makes in day four are meant to mark off time, and then in day seven God makes time holy, and so uh, here we have um, a clear connection. And as we will go forward and see, we'll see that day four actually tells us not just not just that the lights were created to mark off the times, but they actually had a particular purpose to direct man to the worship of God. In the very center of the creation account, the central day, day four, with three days on either side, we have God creating the very things which mark off the time when man is to gather together to worship God and to have this special time of fellowship with God. Now, there are a number of things that happen on, in, on day four that are uh, common. They're just simply necessary for life. There was, we saw in day one, the separation of light and darkness. Clearly, there needed to be light on creation for any of the living creatures to be able to function. And there was a, a necessity for, uh, for uh, the different lights that God created on day four to, to hold the light that he had created on day one. The sun, the moon, uh, and all of the stars, these were necessary for, for creation. And they have a, just a general uh, general purpose of just fulfilling the normal functions that we need to exist. And here we see as well that the sun, the moon, and the stars were not given as things which ought to be worshipped, which is something that many of the people thought in the ancient times. They, they believed that the sun, the moon, and the stars ought to be worshipped. But one of the things that we see with the creation account, which I alluded to in with the with day one, is that the sun and the moon and the stars are created after the existence of light to show that they themselves are not the source of light, but they rather point to the one who is the source of light, who is God. And the way that they do that, as I said, is to mark off particularly the times when man is to worship God. Now, I've said that a couple of times. Where is that in the text? Notice in verse 14, when God creates the lights in the firmament of the heavens, there are a number of functions which these lights have. Notice it's to divide the day from the night, the same function that the, the light would, has that was created in day one. But then notice the next thing that said, let them be for signs and seasons for days and for years. Now, it's, it's a bit obscured in this English translation, but the word that's translated as seasons is actually the word that's used for festival gatherings of the people of God. Not just seasons as in the four seasons, but the particular times when man was to gather together to worship God. That is to say that when we look at the purpose of the sun, the moon, and the stars, they do mark off for us just normally what days and nights are, but also they have been given the particular function by God to be to tell us, to let us know which days God wants us to worship him. Think about, think about, the, think about that just for a second. Why is it that God created these wonderful and glorious things, the sun and the moon and the stars? so that you would know when to worship God. That is the first and primary function of these heavenly bodies, which are so majestic and glorious. Think of it as you woke up this morning, you were greeted by the sun, which let you know that today was the Lord's day, 
a day where you could gather together with God's people to worship him. And as we think of, of Old Testament worship, this was done in a number of ways. There were uh, the morning and the evening sacrifices that happened every day, a time of worship that was set particularly to uh, the, the sun and the sun rising and the sun setting. Also in Old Testament worship, you had the new moon festivals, which was a monthly festival. And the, the Jews in the Old Testament operated on a lunar calendar. So every month was just simply uh, when the new moon came, that was a new month. And so there was particular times of worship that were set to the, the cycle of the moon. And then beyond that, there were particular days throughout the year that were supposed to be celebrated. You think of the Passover. Even this was in a lot, a lot of ways tied to uh, the phase of the moon, you would know which month it was uh, by the moon, and then you'd be able to figure out which was the 14th day of the first month by the, the, the lights which God had put in the sky. The main function of the stars, the sun, and the moon is to let you know when you are to worship the Lord. Think of this then. If God has created all of these things for the sake of worship, how you ought to prioritize worship in your life. Everything in creation, everything is, is made to point to the worship of the triune God. Everything is proclaiming that God ought to be worshipped. And everything serves, not just even in itself praising God, but serves as a way to indicate to man serves as a way to indicate to you when you are to worship God. And God put this as the central day of the creation account, the center day with three days on either side, creating the lights which point us to the worship of our great God. But not only this, we don't just see it in the middle day, we also see it in the last day, which again, in a lot of ways, is very parallel to the fourth day. And this is where we see, in the seventh day, the great climax of the entire account. There are many who will argue that day six is the climax. In some ways it is. It's the climax of the things which God does. It's the climax of the things which, which God made, with man himself being the greatest of all of God's creatures. But that doesn't quite tell you everything that you need to know. Why is it that God did that? Why is it that God made man in his own image? There are some things which are given to us. We were told that he, he is given... He is made uh, in God's image in order to rule over all the creatures. But it does not get at everything which God is speaking to us in the creation account. The reason why God made man on day six was for the sake of day seven. The reason that man was made as the crowning of God's creation was so that man could have Sabbath fellowship with God. And so God creates man in his own image. And then on the seventh day, he rests. And having completed all of his work, which he does, he then blesses the seventh day and he makes it holy. That is, so the seventh day is always to be holy time. That's the, the first thing that God declares to be holy in the book of Genesis. And actually, very interestingly, the only object in all of the book of Genesis, which God makes and declares to be holy, is the seventh day. Now think about that. There are many things which are made holy, but the only thing in the entire book of Genesis which God makes holy is time. That there would be holy time. 
And we're told in Exodus chapter 20 that even as God created in six days, and when it, it speaks of the fourth commandment, even as God created in six days and then rested on the seventh, so that was to be a pattern for us, that we were to observe holy time and to have Sabbath fellowship with God because of a patterning, of the, because of his pattern of creating in six days and then resting on the seventh. That particular seventh day is the climax of the whole account. God sets apart the particular time where he, as the one who created man in his image, would actually have a special time of fellowship with him on that day and in the garden which he would create for man. And so we see then uh, the, the great purpose of worship, that both in the, in the middle and then as the climax, God sets aside worship as the most important thing, the reason why he created man. Now, this leads us to a number of questions about the Sabbath in particular. There are some who will, who will say that uh, the main purpose of the Sabbath is simply to rest from our works and our labors. That if, as long as we refrain from doing any work on the day which God has set aside as the Sabbath, as long as we do that, then we have kept the Sabbath. And so the question is, what does it actually mean to keep the Sabbath? What is the nature of the day that God has set aside for rest? Is it simply a day to cease from labors, or is there something more? Well, hopefully you've been able to tell by the way I've been speaking of the seventh day that it's not just about rest, especially rest from labor. That's, that's really a means to another end. God didn't just rest from the day, rest on that day, but he also blessed that day and made it holy. It's not, it's not primarily a day that is a ceasing of labor. It's primarily a day of holiness. And a day of holiness requires that you cease from labor. That is to say, it's not just a day for you to put certain things aside. It's a day for you to put certain things aside so that you could pursue other things. When God makes something holy, it means that he set it aside for himself. And a mere ceasing from our work does not mean that the day is, in fact, sanctified. We see this from the language of the fourth commandment itself. The, the first thing that's said is not that you are to rest from all your labor. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath, Lord your God, you are to rest. It does say that later. But the first thing that's said is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what's why why emphasize that? Well, let's say that you were, if you're married, you want to go on a date with your spouse. You uh, may decide that on the that particular date, you will refrain from looking at your phone because your phone can distract you and it will ruin the date. Now, if you simply never look at your phone while you're on that date, does that mean that you have actually gone on a good date with your wife? Well, maybe, but maybe not. Not just because you put the phone down, right? If you put the phone down, but then you never speak to your wife or your mind is still on other things, then you've still failed at having good fellowship with your wife on a date. And this is really the function of ceasing from work on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is a day for fellowship with God. It's a day that's been blessed and a day that is holy. The ceasing from our labors is for the sake of pursuing fellowship with God. And if we cease from our labors but then do not pursue God, 
then we have still failed to keep the seventh day holy, or in our case, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first day. This is the entire purpose of our existence. This is the climax of the entire creation account. The last thing which God says in this account is that he has blessed the seventh day and he's made it holy. There's been a continually narrowing of focus in this account all the way until this particular time when there would be holy time established for God to have fellowship with his image bearers. Worship is our main purpose. The main reason why God has made us is that we would glorify and enjoy God forever. Remember what Augustine said. He said in the beginning of his confessions, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. This is our purpose. And, and whenever there is anything in our lives which take priority over worship, whenever we put anything ahead of worship, it will always lead to disaster. It will always lead to bad consequences and ends. This is the main purpose of our lives. Now, that's the nature of the seventh day. It's a day which is holy, not just a ceasing from works, but a pursuing of God. Now, if we were to ask the next question then, what, would it, what does it actually mean to keep the seventh day holy? What are the things which we actually do on the seventh day in order to fulfill uh, this calling which we have, this purpose for our lives. One of the, the passages that's very, very helpful for this is Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus chapter 23, there is a, a detailing out of many of the times which God has set apart for the, for the worship of his name, the holy days, not uh, just the, the festival days. There was the, it, it details the three particular times which the Israelites were to come before God and to uh, worship him in the place where he would choose to set his name. But then, in order to show the continuity between those particular days, days like the Sabbath or the Feast of Weeks, um, in order to show the continuity between those kinds of feasts and the Sabbath day, Leviticus 23 actually begins with the Sabbath. This is the very first holy day, which becomes the foundation for everything else. And indeed, for us, it's the only one that's left. We don't celebrate the Sabbath or the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Booze or anything else, we celebrate the Sabbath and the Sabbath alone. And one of the things that's emphasized in every single uh, section of Leviticus 23 that, that details for us uh, the nature of those days, it says that in each of them that it is a time for a holy convocation. That's, that's what you do when you gather together for, the, for the, the Passover. You have a holy convocation. That is, you have a public worship service. And that passage begins with describing this for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, in terms of what we do on the Sabbath, the primary way that we sanctify the day is by having a holy convocation. All the way back to the days of Moses, this was the particular instruction. How do you keep the day holy? Well, you gather together with God's people for worship. First and foremost, the way that we have Sabbath fellowship with God is by worshiping him together as his people. And this, as you know, was primarily done in the Old Testament in the days of Moses. The context of Leviticus 23 would have been done in the tabernacle. That was the particular place where God had, had chosen for his presence to be. And if you wanted to worship God correctly, 
you would gather together, especially as they were in the wilderness, you would gather together on those particular days for the sake of worshiping God in the, that special place. And that was later replaced by the temple. One of the things that's very interesting is that there are a number of parallels between this creation account in Genesis 1 and the, taper, the tabernacle and the temple as the place for God's worship. And these parallels teach us that that really, it just reinforces this idea that this that the whole entire point of Genesis 1 is that man would have Sabbath fellowship with God. The lights in Genesis 1 and the, in day 4 are described using the same word, which, the, which is used to describe the lights in the temple or the tabernacle. And as I mentioned as well, the seasons is also a word which is used for the times when you meet together in the temple or the tabernacle. And the reason why Moses is drawing these parallels for us is that we would know that the Sabbath fellowship that we have with God is predominantly fulfilled for us when we gather together as God's people to worship his name in the way that he has commanded us. The whole point of the tabernacle and the temple was to teach the people of God how they could have fellowship with God like they had in Eden restored to them. That was the entire point. And that's why many people have described the tab tabernacle and the temple as mini creations. They picture creation for man and they show man how he can enter into the holy of holies to be with God and have this fellowship. And so this, brothers and sisters, is what you get a taste of every single week on the Lord's Day. We no longer have a tabernacle and a temple, but we have the Holy Spirit filling our hearts in a way that's even far greater than the temple or the tabernacle. We have the exact same things represented to us, but in much, much greater ways. The way in which we fulfill keeping the Lord's day holy is by meeting together to worship as God's people. <coughs> and if this is the case, again, brothers and sisters, this day ought to be the absolute highest priority in your life. There ought to be nothing that trumps the worship of God on the day which he has set aside for this purpose. And also we see from the account that in terms of what we are to do on the day, that the entire day is to be sanctified. Now, of course, there's a place for, for rest. We can't go the whole 24 hours without uh, collapsing. There's also a place for works of necessity and mercy, as our Lord Jesus Christ has taught us. And also, we're not to have a slavish you know, fear of, of accidentally spending one second that's not in devotion to God. But even with all of those qualifications, the purpose of the day is that we would spend the entire day with the Lord. That is to say that the, the entire purpose is that the entire day would be sanctified to God. And first and foremost, that means that we are to worship God. And particularly, we see as an example in the scripture of beginning and ending the day in worship. We see the importance of morning and evening worship. Now, there may be some who are providentially hindered from returning uh, to the evening service, but for for most of us, this ought to be the regular pattern of our lives. This is the way that we can, we can, the easiest way that we can devote the entire day to God. The scriptures teach that the entire day is to be devoted to God. The scriptures also teach that the primary way that, that we devote the day to God is by worshiping him. 
We have in the Old Testament many, many examples and patterns of, of worship morning and evening. We have, as we read responsibly in Psalm 92, the only psalm which is specifically said to be a psalm of the Sabbath, which begins by saying, we declare the steadfast love of God in the morning and his faithfulness by night. We had as our call to worship Psalm 113, which says, from the rising of the sun unto its going down, both morning and evening, let the name of the Lord be praised. We have this as the repeated example for us in the scriptures. This is the, the primary way that we sanctify the day is by worshiping God morning and evening. And brothers and sisters, when we can worship God morning and evening, it really frames the day for us in a way that makes the sanctification of the rest of the day actually very, very easy. By the time you have morning worship, evening worship as the highest priorities, you then have a time of individual devotions, family worship, or time to maybe read a Christian book, you've really covered the entire day. And so really, once we, once we can get into the habit of having morning and evening worship, it does help us to do uh, to, to sanctify the rest of the day. There are many who will say as they, they um, get exposed for the first time to the Reformed doctrine of the Sabbath and the Reformed teaching, they'll say, well, isn't this kind of a slavish thing that I have to, to, to spend every single moment of my day in worshiping God? It seems like something that just can't be done. And as I hinted at, it, that's true if, you're, if you only worship the Lord in the morning. Or, you know, you go, you have your lunch, and then after that, what are you going to do for the rest of your day? It can be very, very difficult. I've at least felt that with my family. In situations where we haven't been able to worship in the evening, we find it much more difficult to sanctify the entire day to God. But when we have a morning and evening worship, then it becomes very, very easy, actually. And it's not that it's, this is actually a burden to us. It's something that, that is often said. But really, this is... One of the greatest gifts that's been given to us is that God has actually commanded us to do this. It's, it's not a command that's a burden. It's a command that is refreshing to us. If God has made us for this particular purpose, if all of creation is directing us to the worship of God on the Lord's day, then surely, and if we, and if we know that we're made for this purpose, that we can only be really refreshed in God by fulfilling this purpose, then surely it is a great blessing that we have, that we have a command from God that we must turn aside from all of our other labors and pursue God in worship. There's been a number of times in my life where I've thought, you know, if, if I wasn't commanded by God to stop on this day, I would feel a great pressure not to, not to, to, to stop. There can be even times when you, you think, you know, I've got to do these things. Uh, there was one time we were, we were moving into a new place and so many things were still unpacked and the Lord's day came and I don't have to feel bad about stop stopping our unpacking. I don't have to feel bad about anything else. No matter what anyone else says, I'm not being negligent of my family. I am stopping because my Lord has commanded me. And that's what I desire to do. I desire to be in the presence of God with his people. And I know that being refreshed in the presence of God will help me to get the rest of the things that I need to get done on the other six days. If it was merely a suggestion, then in those particular circumstances, I may choose not to to uh, stop from my labors and worship the Lord. But we do have this as a gracious command from the Lord that we would know how we are to order our lives 
in the ways that are going to help us the most. Because it's not just for the sake of God's name, but even for us. We, we, we pierce ourselves with many pangs when we do not gather together with God's people to worship his name. Hopefully, as you have seen this overview of this first chapter of the book of Genesis, the great wonder of this account of creation, in so many ways, it's a very, very simple and easy account. You know, a, a child who's just beginning to read can read it and understand the bulk of what is said, understanding the, the various things which, which, which Moses directed uh, for us to learn in the account. And yet also, hopefully you see that there is a great depth to this, that there is, it is here in the very beginning of the Bible that we have laid out for us the entire purpose of our existence, that we have so many things explained to us that so many others in the world have simply an inability even to understand or to comprehend. And what we see in the account is that the first, the first thing that we that of the thing of first importance the reason why God has created us was for the sake of Sabbath fellowship with God God has created us for himself and this becomes the foundation for the rest of the Bible it's often said that if you don't understand Genesis chapters 1 to 3 you cannot understand the scriptures and that is very very true if you do not understand how we were created in the beginning you will inevitably have a warped view of what it means to be saved from our sins. And so if we were to even take this a step further then, and to apply what we've seen here this morning to salvation, we would ask, why is it that Christ saves us from our sins? It's the same thing, that we might have Sabbath fellowship with God restored to us. This is the rest which the writer to the Hebrews speaks of in Hebrews chapter 4. Joshua did not give them rest when they entered into the promised land. He recognizes the whole, the whole narrative is how can we get back to having Sabbath fellowship with God, and even better than the way Adam had it, how can we get back to it as we had it before the fall? And this is what is restored to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The entire narrative of Scripture is based upon Genesis chapter 1. That man was made to have fellowship with God, that it was ruined in the fall, and that this is restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't, don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to know what it is that's being offered to you in the gospel, this is the primary thing, that you would have fellowship with the triune God, that all of those who turn from their sins and believe in him, you may get a number of other blessings which go along with it, but the blessing you get is God that you get to be with God forever. May God grant all of you the grace to so understand his word and to strive to enter that rest which has been promised. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we are so thankful for your word and how we are thankful for the way in which your word teaches us all of the things which you have done and how even the way in which you have done it, Lord, you could have made all things in an instant. But Lord, you chose to do it in an orderly way in time over a period of days that you might bring out certain truths for us to know. And so, Lord, we see that even creation reveals who you are and reveals who we are as a result. And Lord, 
we, re- we see the beauty of being made for the worship of your name. How we do pray that you would fill us with your spirit and enable us to give to you the worship that is due to your name. Forgive us, O Lord, when we often fall so far behind even the other things which you have created in being zealous for the worship of your name. And Lord, grant us the grace to to so prize the Lord's day, the day that you have created for yourself, to be set aside as holy, the only object set aside as holy in the book of Genesis. Lord, help us to see and to treasure this as the greatest of all days, that we be able to say with the psalmist, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. We ask all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.